0: We've been working through this series these last few weeks, exploring the way that the early church reached out to its community, the outreach events of this church. And we began with with Peter and John as they were faithfully going to the temple. And we were reminded that if we are faithful to God, faithful to what He's calling us to, He will put us in the right place at the right time. And when I preached that sermon, I was thinking of just the way they could be helpful to that man. But then I began to realize over these next few weeks how all these events began to fall into place. So they healed this man. They prayed for him in the name of Christ, and he was healed. This man who had been lame or had been crippled since birth. He started to stand and to walk. Went into the temple for the first time in his life and began to leap and praise God. And he began to draw a crowd. People began to file in around them. Pressing around them. And Peter seeing what was happening, he realized that he had an opportunity here. He realized that he had to make the connection for people because they saw a man who was healed. And Peter had to tell them, it's not us, it's not some magic thing that we've said. It's not some something that we've done. It's by Christ, by Jesus. The name of Jesus has healed this man. The one that, that the people or the leaders or the rulers of this city, they killed him, but God raised him to life. It's in his name that this has changed. It's in His name that this man is healed. Well, it was this miracle that God worked and, and people began to believe and they were and starting to realize and make the connection. But it also started to draw some of the people of power, some of the people who thought they controlled things, who thought they controlled the temple. It started to bring them too. They wanted to question Peter and John. Who do you think you are? See, when we start proclaiming the Gospel, it challenges people. It challenges the way they live, the way they think. But then we see today, we see the response of the church. See, Peter and John, when they spoke with those guys, when the high priests and the elders came, they, didn't, they weren't quite sure what to do with them because this man was healed. He was right in front of them. And they told Peter and John to keep it quiet, to shut your mouths. You don't run things around here. We do. And they threatened him. First they put him in jail, and they brought him back, and they threatened him. They said, speak no more of this name of Jesus. And Peter said, how can we do anything different? How can we not talk about what we've seen and what we've heard? So they've been threatened. They know the consequences now. And so we pick up the story where they've returned to their own, to their church. Peter and John tell them everything that the high priest and the elders had spoken. And what do you think the people did? They lifted up their voices in prayer to God. They didn't take to the streets and riot. They didn't pack their bags and look for the next night out to sneak sneak out of Jerusalem. They lifted up their voices to God and they began to pray. I was captured by this this week. They began to pray as a church. This is the response of the church to persecution, to opposition, is prayer. And I started looking into what did they pray and I realized that they began praying, first of all, recognizing the sovereignty of God. The fact that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. That God is in control. That there are no surprises. There's nothing too big for God. Nothing that surprises Him or catches Him off guard. They begin by praying. They being Sovereign Lord. A Lord who rules everything. Who's in control of everything. Maker of heaven and earth and sea. And everything that's in it. They begin by recognizing who God is. They begin by recalling God and, and who He is who, is, who this God is they're even praying to. Notice they don't focus right in on their requests. They don't say, Dear God, here's my list of stuff I'd like you to do. They start with God and His sovereignty. They begin there, praising God for who He is, that has created all things. They focus on God first, remembering, in prayer, reminding each other that this God that we, that we follow, this Jesus that we follow, He's powerful. He's created everything. He sustains everything. There's nothing that is surprising to Him here. He is in control. But you may have also heard it too that as they began praying, they actually started reciting words from Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire? Why do the people plot in vain? Leaders, or rulers, or kings take their stand, and the leaders gather together against God and against His anointed one. They say, "Let us break His chains. Let us throw off their fetters." And the Lord laughs. The one who's enthroned in heaven laughs, and He scoffs at them, and He rebukes them in their anger, in His anger. And he terrifies them in his wrath. You see, God has had his own king. He's installed his own king in Zion, on his holy hill. David went on to say, He said, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. This is what he said to me You are my son. Today I've become your father. I will make the nations your inheritance. And the ends of the earth, your possession. You will rule with an iron scepter, and you will dash them to, to apart as pieces of clay or as pottery. And he says, Therefore, therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the world. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice in trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you be destroyed in your way. Because his, his anger can flare up in a moment. But blessed are you. Blessed are those who rest in him, who take their, their shelter in him. We see this, this psalm that, that they begin to refer to. This is often thought of, or one, it's, it's David's psalm that he wrote through the struggles of his life. But also, it was a psalm that the people of Israel told again and again when kings were crowned to remind them that they were children of God, they were sons of God. So this is something that kings would hear again and again, as, or the people would hear as a new king would become king. But we hear it now as Peter and John are talking about Jesus, God's greatest king, God's last king, the Lord of Lords. We hear it now talking about Jesus and who He is. But there's also this point too where Peter makes this connection, or as they're praying, they make this connection with with the, the people and the kings who were plotting against God, who took their stand and gathered against God and His anointed one. There's this connection between Herod and Pilate, these rulers, these kings who stood up against God, or the people of Israel and, and, and the Gentiles who gathered together, who plotted in vain. Why should we be surprised at this? As Peter was saying, or as the the church was praying, this has been foretold. God, through His Holy Spirit, spoke through David. Not only was David talking about his events, he was talking prophetically about what would happen to Jesus. But this should not surprise the people. See, the thing is, we look at Jesus' life. And from the outside, from people looking on the outside, it looks like this religious leader who rose up, upset the wrong people, and then was killed for it. On the outside, this looks like a horrible failure, like a movement that never really got off the ground. But we who believe, we see it for what it is, that this is not a failure, this is God's greatest triumph. That in the cross, through the cross, and through the resurrection, Christ saved us. He gave us this chance at new life, This chance to ask God for forgiveness of our sin and to be be redeemed through Christ. It looked like things went horribly wrong, but in truth, they were going wonderfully right. God had planned this. This was not something that, that God sent Jesus into the world and said, boy, I hope it works out. This was part of God's plan. And Peter, as he was talking with the people of Israel, when they they were asking him about this man that he healed, and then when the, the religious leaders came, each time you see that Peter said, it was you who killed him, but God raised him to life. You thought you were doing this, and it was actually for evil, but God meant it for good. God is at work in this. God is redeeming this. You see, sometimes we lose track of this. In our lives and the things that come against us, the way this world doesn't work out for us, the way this broken world continues to go wrong and wrong in our lives, we lose sight of this. We forget that God is the one who's in control. We forget that God is working out all things for the good of those who love them. Not that everything is easy. Not that everything is supposed to go right all the time. But through everything, God is working out good. He's working out good for you. We have to be careful that we don't ever confuse that with things will be easy from here on out. It was Jesus who said, Whoever wants to follow me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But those who lose their life for my sake and for the gospel, they will save it. It's never easy. But It's good if we will follow Christ. He will move us through these things. He will work redemptively in life, even through some of the hardest things that we face. So it's interesting to me that as they begin praying, they begin with God, who God is, the sovereignty of God, that that nothing is surprising Him, that He created all of these things. But as I was working through this, I realized that I was most amazed at what they pray next they ask god for courage these guys ask god for courage and boldness to proclaim the word of god can you believe these guys they've just been told by some of the most by some of the most powerful men in israel to shut your mouth Shut your mouth or you might just disappear. You might go away. They've been threatened. They've been warned. By the most powerful people. The sort of people that the rest of Jerusalem was even afraid to touch. They've just been told by those people to never speak of this name of Jesus again. And yet they come and they pray that God would give them more courage. To make them more bold in proclaiming this name Jesus. To proclaim the word of God. These guys have guts. No, they don't. You know what they have? They have faith. I mean, some people have it. They just have their lack of fear. Some people have it. I feel like a lot of us don't. But you know what we all have? We all have faith. Faith is different. We all have faith. It helps us to do things that other people think, why would you ever do that? Why would you risk that? Why would you sacrifice that? It's not because of God. It's because of faith. See, these guys were all in. They devoted everything to Jesus. Their entire life. They weren't holding anything back. They had no safety levers. They had no, no parachutes. No nothing. They, they put everything into Christ. And they prayed for courage to proclaim His name. To proclaim the Word of God. It's also interesting to me what they don't pray here. They've been threatened by people, the very people who sent Jesus to death. They've been threatened by them. You know what they don't pray? They don't pray, God, destroy these people. Rain down fire and brimstone and wipe these guys out. They don't pray, God, send your angels, send your armies from heaven to come and wipe these people off the face of the earth. They don't pray that. You know what else they don't pray? They don't pray for escape. They don't pray for God, I pray that you'd open a door tonight that we could sneak out of here. That we could go to some other place, maybe somewhere where they're not so hostile to us. Maybe we could go somewhere where maybe people are like, they just let us be and we can just do our thing and they'll do our thing. We can just escape. They don't pray for that either. They pray for confidence, they pray for boldness and courage boldness to proclaim this gospel, to proclaim what Jesus has done, to keep speaking the Word of God. They aren't asking for for weapons. They aren't asking, they're praying for God to give them courage to be more violent. They're praying for courage to proclaim the Word of God. One of the most powerful things in existence. The Word of God. This is what they pray for, courage to speak to people. This is the tradition you come from. These are our roots as followers of Christ. We come out of a church. We come out of a church of courageous people who would be persecuted and pray for courage to speak more boldly. These are our roots. This is where we belong. We follow a Savior who did this very thing. He knew what he was heading to as he set his life, as he set his face toward Jerusalem. I don't think Jesus had any, any misconception about what was going to happen there. We see it in the garden. He says, God, let this cup pass from me. I know what's coming. Yet not my will be done, but yours. He continues to make that sacrifice. This courageous, this bold sacrifice. These are our roots. This is who you are as the church. To be bold, to be courageous, and to proclaim this Word of God. As I see this, I was listening to God's Spirit speaking to me too about just the emphasis of mission, about proclaiming this Gospel. These guys, like I've said already, they're all in. They're completely committed to it. They don't come back from that and gather the church and say, you know... Maybe we could tone it down a little bit. Maybe we could just, you know, kinda of tone it down and you know what we could do, we could make religion more private. Where we don't actually talk about it publicly with people. We could talk maybe we could just talk about Jesus among ourselves. Encourage each other and, and that way no one would be upset. And we could just kind of go on about our lives. You know, we can look like everybody else, act like everybody else. Maybe we can just find a way to comfortably coexist. They don't do that. That's not what they pray for. They pray for boldness and courage. I think about this this thing that Jesus said. He said, you know, you don't light a candle and put it under a basket. When you light a candle, you put it at the high place so it gives light to the whole house. I hear God speaking to us in this. Because we live in a time where it's becoming increasingly more difficult to talk about Jesus. I was listening to an article, it's from the States, but um, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, the chicken chain, the uh, restaurant chain, he talked about his um, belief or his affirmation of a biblical idea of a family and just the actual statement I, I mean it, it didn't see anyth- I personally didn't see anything too inflammatory about it but people just reacted calling him a bigot calling him hateful and all he did was talk about what we would, any one of us I think would talk about as our belief our affirmation of a biblical idea of family and people reacted to that they hated him because of it, resolving never to eat at Chick-fil-A again, which, I don't know, probably not very healthy for you anyways. But, <laughs> but we live in a time. We live in a time as things it becomes more and more difficult to talk about Jesus with people because our views are less and less popular. The things that we talk about as what God has given us for the way to live is less and less popular. It's getting harder and harder to talk about it. So, we don't put this light under a bowl, though. When it gets hard, when the tension goes up, we talk about the gospel still. We still talk about this Jesus who has saved us, who has changed our lives. These guys had a passion, they had a fire. Jesus had changed their lives. And they couldn't stop talking about it. They saw the people out there and the way that they were trying to live life and they cared about them too much not to say something. They wanted this life for them. This joy and this hope. This salvation. They wanted this for people. So they couldn't just be quiet about it. Praise God, they wouldn't just be quiet about it. You see the emphasis in mission in the early church. How deeply they desired people to know what Jesus had done. But we also begin to see that persecution takes on a new light. Opposition to the gospel looks differently when you see it through this lens. That opposition isn't necessarily bad. I mean, I'm not saying go and provoke people. To go and try and get rise out of someone, or to be to be uh, ridiculous, or to bully people, or to badger people—that's not what I'm saying. Not at all what I'm saying. Actually, as you read through Scripture, they talks about often, you know, if you are persecuted for doing good, for following Christ. Jesus said, "Blessed are you when people persecute you, insult you, and say all sorts of horrible things about you because of me. Not because you were rude." because you're belligerent, because you try to force things on people. But when they persecute you because of Jesus, it says rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Because in the same way they treated the prophets who went before you. You remember those old guys who also spoke the truth, who talked honestly with with people? It says rejoice when this happens. So I was thinking about it, about planting seeds. You know, oftentimes we talk about the gospel in, in the sense of a seed. How difficult is it to plant a seed on ground that is smooth? You drop the seed and it just sits there on top. And when I have this image of people, sometimes even as, as people, but even as Christians, what I see doing is doing sort of like trying to pat the ground, trying to keep things smooth. Let's try and keep everything smooth. So there's no conflict. There's no There's no tension or friction between us and people. But the greatest soil, the richest soil, is the one where the plow has come through. Where the plow has come through and broken up things. Pulled the dark soil up to the top. You drop a seed in that and it begins to grow. What I'm saying here is I see this connection between us and talking about faith. Because we'll be tempted to never mention it. When we have people over for supper, I, I don't know, maybe you've felt this, but I feel like, ooh, is this a good time to mention that I'm going to church tomorrow? Or should I, should I pray for supper? Or should I not? I don't want to offend anybody. I want to keep the ground nice and smooth. I'm encouraging us to speak the truth in love. When it comes to like to do what we do, when it comes time to eat, we pray for supper. We pray, we thank God for our food. When someone asks us, what are we doing tomorrow? We say, well, I'm going to church tomorrow. Would you would like to come with me? Let the, let the plow work the ground up. So when that seed is dropped, it has a greater chance of, of sprouting, of putting down roots and growing. It's amazing what these guys do. They're faced with this persecution. They're faced with people who are opposing them. It's even threatening their lives. And they pray for courage. They pray for courage to continue proclaiming this Word of God. This is a deeply missional church that we're looking at here. A church that understands persecution differently. Not that something's going wrong, but that actually, perhaps in this this mystical way, something is going right that God is at work in tilling up the soil, plowing the ground. Here's the good news this morning, though. As amazing as this church is, here's the good news. Is that God responds. God responds to them. They're praying. It says, after they were praying, the whole place was shaken. Now in the Greek, when it says, it was shaken, that's a passive which means is that God was doing it. This wasn't just a freak uh, seismic event that happened at this one building. This was God, God confirming their prayer, God assuring them that He is hearing, that He is listening. That these people aren't just alone in this. That God is with them. God is at work here. Letting them know, letting us know that He hears prayer. And then He fills them with the Spirit. This whole church is refilled with God's Spirit. Filled again. Filled to the top again with God's Spirit. Imagine how exciting that is. Imagine that. I mean, sitting in this church here. And the chandeliers begin to move back and forth. The chairs begin to slide. We hear things rattling. Imagine what that would be like. It would be a little bit scary. (laughs) But also, if we knew it was God's Spirit, imagine the excitement of that. But here's the amazing thing. You are still this church. You are part of that same church that began thousands of years ago. You are still children of God. We still pray and God still hears us. We can pray these same things. We can pray, Sovereign Lord, Creator of heaven and earth and sea and everything in it. God, give us courage. Give us courage to proclaim your word. To speak the truth in love. To back it up with the way that we live. To serve people. We can pray these same things. So long as we don't let our, we won't let our doubt or our fear overcome us. If we keep our heart open to what God would do, we can pray these same things. You are still a part of this church. This morning, as I'm thinking about this church, I'm thinking about us praying. I don't know if God's going to shake the chandeliers, but I still feel like, as we talk about a church, as we spend time looking at a church praying, that we as a church should conclude by prayer. So, I will begin. Now leave space for us to pray for our church, or for your church if you're visiting here. Let us pray that we would speak boldly. Let us remember again that we serve a sovereign God who controls all things. Let us pray together as one church. Father in heaven. Sovereign Lord. Creator of heaven and earth and everything in it. God, we realize that what happened to Jesus was no mistake. We realize, God, looking back, that this was all part of your plan. That all along, from the beginning of time, you had intended to save us. To provide a way for us to come back to you. To give us new life. Life filled with hope. Life that will not end. God, I pray that you give us courage. When we face opposition, God, please give us courage. And now, Lord, I pray that you would hear the prayer of my brothers and sisters. Father in heaven, I praise you for this church, for these faithful brothers and sisters. God, I pray that you continue to work in us. God, you continue to work in our church here and through some of our friends here, God, they would go back and work in their church as well to encourage each other, God to be bold, and to speak with courage, to speak your word, God, because it is so powerful. Holy Spirit, please fill us again. God, we can't do this on our own. We can't ratchet up our courage by our own. God, we need you to do this. We pray for your spirit to fill this church, to fill the churches that are represented here today, to fill your church around the world, God, that we would proclaim your word. Lord Jesus, that we would continue to tell people what we have experienced, this new life, this redemption, this salvation from our sin. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.